All right, good morning. Welcome to another week of being scattered together. Can, can you even get your head around 25 weeks? Like every time the number goes up, it just seems more and more ridiculous. But 25 weeks apart, continue to miss you, continue to pray for you. Thank you for your faithfulness in gathering. Uh, I pray that this is an encouragement to us uh, this morning. So we're going to do as we always do. We're going to come to a passage in God's Word. We're going to talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible there, a Bible app, whatever it is, would you turn to the Gospel of Matthew? It's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. And we're going to read right through to the end of the chapter here. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. Matthew writes this. Now the eleven disciples, that's because now Judas is gone. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's God's word. Let me take a moment and quickly just pray for us, just commit this time now and ask the Spirit to guide and lead us, and then we'll dig into this. Uh, Spirit of God, we do ask now, would you come powerfully as we listen to this word. Give us ears to hear uh, what you are saying to the church. Um, we, we long to hear from you. So uh, do what your word says it will do. You say that it never returns to you void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which you send it out. God, as you send out your word this morning through me, I ask, accomplish the purpose in the lives of every single person that hears this. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, so this passage, like for, for, for centuries now, Christians have turned to this passage here at the end of Matthew's gospel, which is often referred to as the Great Commission. In your Bible there might even say at the top of this section, the Great Commission. They've turned to this passage for hope, for, for encouragement, for, as well as one of the clearest, most succinct statements of what it is we're supposed to be doing as the church. Like what's the, the point of this gathering? You might even say it's our, it's our marching orders, so to speak. But here's the thing. When you stop and consider the context of Jesus' words to his first disciples here, like when he, he is saying this, when he's speaking these words to them in particular, all of a sudden we're given a much deeper insight into the, both the gravity as well as the magnitude of Jesus' commission here and his, his call to his church. Because like just... If you can, just like in your mind's eye, just imagine right now yourself there on this mountainside in Galilee 2,000 years ago. Jesus' disciples here, if you know where this is in the storyline, they, they're just barely recovering from, from witnessing the tragic, violent, horrific loss of their beloved friend and, and, and leader put to death by the Romans and, and the religious rulers buried in a tomb, as well as then the joyful, mind-bending belief stretching joy of, of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, getting him back again. Like, they're just barely catching their breath from this, only now to learn that Jesus, now he's going away again. He's going away again and leaving them now 
to carry on his work in the world to the ends of the earth. Like that, that's the fuller context of Jesus' great commission to the church. And it's something I don't think we really think about and consider whenever we read this or we hear the great commission. I was like, yeah, okay. We don't think about the, the context when Jesus first gave it. I mean, if we just sort of take that and put it into our modern 21st century context, it'd be a little bit like Bono, the, the lead singer of U2, if you know that band, suffering a massive heart attack right at the beginning of a world tour. He's, he's revived after being rushed to the hospital. Only then, like a few weeks later, he, he comes to his disciples, and, and he pull, pulls them all together, sorry, his band members. He pulls them together and just says, hey, guys, actually, I'm leaving the tour. I'm leaving the tour, but I, I want you to carry on without me. I want you to just keep, finish out the tour without me. Like, uh, no, <laughs> now we're not going to do that. Um, now, okay, yes, sure, there, there's, a, there's lots of differences between what what Jesus is saying and Bono talking to his band members. I get that. And yet at the same time, I think that gives us some sense of like the the emotions, like the desperation, the the, the fear, all these things that disciples must have been feeling in this moment. Just like Jesus, man, we're not going to sell any tickets for this show if you're not coming with us. We can't do this. I mean, it just, it must have seemed and felt impossible on so many levels. Because remember this, like not only is Jesus asking his disciples to carry on the gospel world tour without the, the lead singer, he's also calling them to carry on the very mission that got him killed in the first place. And although the circumstances that, that we're facing today, namely trying to carry on this exact same mission in the middle of a global pandemic, although the circumstances we're facing here as a church right now are nothing like the circumstances that Jesus' disciples were facing in the first century when he first gave them this commission, I, I still have no doubt whatsoever that we're experiencing some of the exact same emotions as we think about how to be the church in our circumstances that they were feeling when, when, when Jesus first gave them this commission on that mountainside. Because for all the differences, historically, geographically, whatever else it is, what Jesus is calling his church to at every point in history, whatever the circumstances may be, is to the exact same mission. The exact same mission. And to walk faithfully into the very same fog of an unknown tomorrow where we can't see what's going on, trusting that he can see. And that whatever Jesus has called us to, he will be faithful to equip us for. It's the exact same call into a fearful unknown of tomorrow that the disciples had then and which we have now. Now, as I said earlier, collectively, um, this passage, this, this passage altogether has come to be known as the Great Commission. But if you've ever heard a, a message on this passage before, maybe you've heard or maybe you just know that the commission itself what we're actually supposed to do is it, it can all be kind of, the whole passage can be divided into three different sections, actually, where you got the commission itself, like what it is we're supposed to do as the church there in verses 19 and into the beginning of verse 20. But then on either side of that commission that Jesus gives, you've got the great claim that Jesus makes in verse 18, and then the great comfort that Jesus gives at the end of verse 20. And as we begin this this fall season, this, this, this fall kickoff, which is unlike any fall kickoff I think we've ever experienced in the life of this church, at least as far as I've experienced in the last 15 years of being here. As we walk into this season of life as a church, walking into our own unknown tomorrows, of which, man, COVID-19 is just one of many fearful circumstances. 
I want us to spend the next three weeks together looking at this passage, reminding us again of what our mission still is as the church, what our mission is, what our marching orders are, reminding us of what it is that Jesus has called us and commissioned us to as his church, regardless of the circumstances that we're facing, while also focusing our hearts and our minds on Jesus' great claim and his great comfort as well, which, which Jesus seems to confidently believe will enable us to be able to carry out what he's called us to. And so as we begin today, this, this first message of three, uh, all I want us to do is spend a few minutes together just looking at and focusing on Jesus' great claim. That's all we're going to look at. Jesus' great claim, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're just going to look at that specifically. My hope being that in doing that, we'll come to a much deeper, more rich understanding of Jesus' authority and, and so that we'll understand how Jesus' claim connects to his commission and so we'll better understand two things in particular. We'll understand how Jesus' authority is an authority to be feared as well as an authority to be followed. An authority to be feared, an authority to be followed. So if you close your Bibles, close your Bible app, whatever it is with you, Turn to them again, open them up again to Matthew 28, go right to verse 18 there, follow along with me as we dig into part one of this fall mini-series together, Faithfulness into the Unknown. Okay, now in order just to get us kind of all on the same page here, uh, I'll level the ground for all of us here as we enter into looking at this. I think it's important to just briefly discuss and, and work through three questions very briefly as it relates to Jesus' authority. Uh, namely, what does Jesus mean by authority when he says he has all authority? Like, what does he mean when he says that? Um, in what sense has Jesus been given authority? Like, didn't he already have it? And then, when is Jesus given this authority? When, when did that happen? Well, okay, so here we go. As it relates to Jesus, what he means when he says he's been given authority, uh, although there's a number of different ways I know that that word is used in the English language, uh, in, in the Greek, it's much more specific. Uh, that words are used have much more specific meanings. And so the, the word that's used here has very much a sense of power, of, of ruling authority. And so to speak of all authority in heaven and on earth being given to him, what Jesus means, what he's revealing, is he's revealing himself as the sovereign ruler over everything. Jesus said everything, heaven, earth, the universe, anything you could think of, I'm sovereignly ruling over all of that. And then, but then understanding that now, okay, so, but then how do we understand Jesus being given this authority to rule? Like, how does that work? Because, I mean, at the beginning of John's gospel alone, it's just one example, it clearly identifies Jesus as, as being God, as well as eternally existing with God. So how, how does that work? How is he given authority? Doesn't he already have it? Well, pastor and author John Piper is really helpful. It was helpful to me. I hope he's helpful to you in, in understanding kind of how this works because he reminds us that while the Son, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equally God, the, the Son, while he, yes, has existed for all eternity, before the incarnation of the Son, that is before the Son took on human flesh and entered into our world, what we celebrate every Christmas, Jesus, the, the God-man, did not yet exist. He was prophesied that he would come. He was prophesied that this, this, this seated woman would come, but he had not yet come. That, that 
Jesus, God, man, did not yet exist. And so if we follow the Apostle Paul's uh, progression outlined in Philippians 2, we learn that although, yes, Jesus was equal with God in, in every way, in taking on human flesh, the Son takes on human flesh, humbles himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that, 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 that in doing that, that Jesus, the God-man, he says, was then exalted and glorified to the highest place, given the name that is above every name, which means all Jesus is ultimately doing here is he's expressing the fullness of authority that he now has in his resurrected, glorified humanity to his disciples. Not that he's more God. He's saying, me, now, this incarnate Son of God, God in human flesh, now I have now all authority in heaven and on earth. Finally, then following that understanding, is, and, and as uh, most commentators agree, is a, is a direct parallel passage back in the Old Testament in Daniel 7, when Jesus was given this sovereign ruling authority over all things, was immediately after completing his atoning work on the cross for which he had come. Happened immediately after that. For if you look at Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7, he's given a vision of something like a divine coronation ceremony. And this is something that we believe is, is what happened immediately following Jesus' death. Daniel says he sees, he, he sees this. I, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him, and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and that, the peoples, um, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. It's a scene, an incredible scene that sounds actually very similar to something that we looked at and studied earlier in this year, back in Ephesians chapter 1, where we read this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, listen, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Which ultimately just means in the end that the eternal kingly rule that, that Isaiah prophesied Jesus would have, for instance, that, that the wise men came and bowed before in the manger in which Pilate mockingly proclaimed above Jesus' head on the cross. Jesus now possessed. He possessed at a level and of a scope that, that made Satan's offer. Remember when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness? Satan's offer of, I'll give you all the kings of the world if you'll just bow before me. He made that offer look about as ridiculous as offering, offering like a $25 Amazon gift card to Jeff Bezos. It's kind of like, um, no, no, I'm, I'm good, thanks. I, I'm okay. He had this, all this authority now after completing the work for which he came. So, so hopefully that gives us enough of a starting place at least to, to begin now to look at Jesus' claim to have all authority and talk, first of all, about how Jesus' authority is an authority to be feared. An authority to be feared. Now, one of the problems facing us in looking at 
what Jesus having all authority in heaven and on earth looks like is that very shortly after he says this to his disciples, he tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. He, he, he leaves. He, he's taken up into heaven to return to his Father, which, which isn't for a moment to say that Jesus isn't still with us always by his Spirit dwelling within us, a comforting reality that we're going to look at in two weeks' time, and Jesus' great comfort, but, but only to say that we have very few examples of what all authority in heaven and on earth looks like carried out by Jesus, the God-man in particular. Like We don't have a lot of examples of him, of him doing that once he receives it personally uh, in his humanity. So, However... What we do have are, are hundreds of examples recorded for us in the Gospels of what Jesus' authority looked like pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection. That is, before he was given all authority in heaven and on earth. And so I think looking at a few of those, I mean, already incredible examples and then just extrapolating, like building out from there, I think we'll get a, 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 re- a very good understanding of just how massive and incomprehensibly powerful Jesus' authority is now. What he means when he says that, we, we can just see by looking at those examples and just blowing them up, because that's what Jesus means has happened. And so one of the first examples that we have of that, Jesus' authority and, and it being something to be feared, we have in the gospel accounts when you see Jesus' authority in his teaching, first of all, his authority in his teaching. Now, I know it's like back to school time, if, if you're a younger person, a, a university student, maybe that's just a dirty word right now, you don't want to hear the word teaching, sorry trigger word, but uh, um, hopefully you would agree at least that, that, that Jesus' teaching would be something that wouldn't need to be feared. And yet, again and again, you see the response of the religious leaders of Jesus' day to his teaching as a fearful response. Not only fearful of just what Jesus was teaching, but of the way he was teaching. For not only did, did many of the things Jesus taught and said challenge the, the the, the teachings and the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the karma that you hear sprinkled throughout the gospel accounts in response of the crowds to Jesus, uh, like their amazement at his teaching. <clears throat> they say this, he spoke as one who has authority and not like their scribes. Because you see, the way that they, they taught in Jesus' day, the, scri- the scribes and the Pharisees they would say, so and so, this rabbi says this, uh, Moses says this, Abraham and everyone would be like, oh, okay, that's, that's the authority. But yet, what you hear Jesus saying, particularly the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said this, you've heard it said this, but I say, and he's speaking of himself as the one speaking authority, and everyone's like, we've never heard this. This is incredible. Point uh, is that Jesus' teaching, however loving and full of grace and, and truth it was, also challenged and threatened the authority of the religious rulers of Jesus' day, so much so that, that, that far more than just making them angry, it made them deeply afraid. Okay, so that, that's, that's one example. Another example of Jesus' authority being something to be feared is when you see his authority over creation. The authority that he had over creation in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have recorded for us an event where, where Jesus told his disciples to get into a boat with him and take him over to the other side of the sea. He says, take me over there, we've got to get away. But in the midst of that trip, we're told that a huge storm comes up. It's, it's filling the boat so much so that they think they're all going to drown. And when they call to Jesus, who's asleep in the back of the boat at the time, they're like, Jesus, save us. He gets up, stands in the boat, rebukes the wind and the wave. Peace, be still. We're told that in a moment, the wind drops, the waters become completely calm. An incredible moment. Now, again, you'd think that in seeing Jesus' authority over creation like this, it would inspire this awe and worship among his disciples that when they say to one another, who is this? 
that even the wind and the waves obey, and they're saying it like with, with smiles and relief on their faces. That's what you'd think. And yet, what Mark tells us in his gospel is that in seeing Jesus' display of authority over creation, the disciples became even more afraid than they were when they just thought they were going to drown. Why? Why? Well, as Tim Keller notes in his book, Jesus the King, quote, because Jesus was as unmanageable as the storm itself. The storm had immense power. They, they couldn't control it, but Jesus had infinitely more power. So they had even less control over him. Finally, the scriptures speak of Jesus' authority over the spiritual realm that he had already in, in his incarnate humanity. Uh, you, you have an example just a few chapters later in Mark where, where Jesus' authority over the legion of evil spirits that had uh, inhabited this man who couldn't be restrained by anyone. He was living amongst the tombstones and in the graveyards. He, he casts the demons out into those pigs and they run off the edge, which once again uh, creates fear in the people who witness it. But listen, even more so creates fear in the demonic forces. In fact, in, in every encounter Jesus has with those possessed or oppressed by evil spirits in his earthly ministry, you see the, 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 the demon's immediate fearful response when they see Jesus is, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. What have you come for? What do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? Fearful response. Or, or as James says in James chapter 2, oh, you believe that God is one? Great, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder. But listen, far more than this, even the Bible is clear that through his death and resurrection, Jesus didn't just defeat the demonic powers. He, he also demonstrated his divine power and authority for all time in, in his victory over Satan himself. As the author of Hebrews so simply and profoundly states, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that's his incarnation, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You see, Jesus' authority that he already had, even before he was given authority, creating fear, it's an authority to be feared in all these different ways, but like, okay, so What's the point? Why, 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 is, why is Jesus telling his disciples this? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me before he, he leaves and ascends into heaven. Why? Well, I believe that the first reason Jesus says this is actually to remove fear. Although his authority is something that, that is, is to be feared, he tells his disciples that he has all authority in order to remove fear from them. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it. Not only is the Jesus and the 12 disciples band about to break up and lose their lead singer, again, Jesus is, he knows he's going to call them to carry on with the very mission that got him crucified. And so the reason Jesus is telling his disciples this now, first of all, that he has all authority on heaven and earth is because Jesus knows immediately following his, this announcement of him leaving and what he's about to call them to, or just kind of growing out of the fear of that, the very next thing, the very next thing that's going to be produced in the hearts and minds of his disciples are excuses. He knows that's exactly what's coming next. Excuses primarily about why they couldn't, shouldn't, or, or won't carry out the commission that Jesus is about to give them to go and make disciples of all nations. He, he knows that's what's going to happen. They're just going to be like, well, how? Uh, what? You're not coming? Uh, Jesus, uh, how can we do this? Jesus, you had all authority. You had authority over... Um, 
in your teaching. Oh, we don't have authority in our teaching. How are we supposed to do that? No. Jesus, he had authority over creation. Guys, does any of you have authority over creation? We don't have that. Uh, Jesus, you had authority over evil spirits. Um, yeah, we've had kind of, kind of success with that, but lots of times we couldn't do it. There was times you had to step in and help us. It's like, sorry, Jesus. Yeah, listen, I'm just going to go ahead and hand that right back to you because we can't do it. We don't have authority like you. We're not able to do this. So sorry, I don't, I don't know why you thought you could leave us with this. I guess you're going to have to stay. Jesus knows that. He knows that that's exactly what's going to be created in their hearts as soon as he gives them this great commission. And so, listen, almost exactly like a husband who books the hotel, packs an overnight bag, gets a sitter, uh, secretly works out ahead of time with his wife's boss to, to get some time off for her before he shows up and picks her up from work and says, hey, I'm taking you away for the night. Does all that work ahead before time in the same way Jesus takes every excuse, every question, takes every fear, every doubt that might get in the way, that might threaten to inhibit his disciples to carry on the mission that he's leaving with him and proclaims his sovereign power and ultimate authority over every single one of them. All authority over all those things, guys, I've already got control over. Because here's the thing we must never forget. While Jesus' authority, yes, it does create fear. It's an authority to be feared. It is never intended to create fear. That is like terror and dread of any kind in those who are in a reconciled relationship with him. It's never intended to do that. As the author uh, of, of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, listen. This is speaking of uh, the, the, the mountain where Moses had come up. Uh, to receive the, the Ten Commandments. And this terrifying sight it was. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's just different. The way that Jesus relates to those who are in relationship with him is different. His authority comes also with the demonstration that he is uh, the author and, and the authority over all things, but also full of love towards those that he's in relationship with. Love that, that John tells us in First John that casts out fear. And so when you think about your own life, when you consider where you're at right now today, what is it that's still causing you to be afraid? What's causing you to be afraid? What's causing you to, to shrink back as you think about carrying on this mission that Jesus has given to every one of his churches, to every one of his followers in every age to go and make disciples of all nations what is it that making you afraid when you think about doing that feeling like it's not possible i need to make excuses about that maybe it's fear of failure i can't do that man uh, maybe it's fear of, of looking foolish getting laughed at or ridiculed maybe it's fear of being discredited or, or or ignored by your colleagues maybe it's fear of persecution fear of spiritual attack that may come maybe it's fear of COVID-19, <clears throat> just like, ah, oh, we just kind of got to shut that down right now. The church can get back to making disciples when the pandemic's over. What is it? 
because don't you see? Jesus already anticipated every single one of those fears and questions and excuses. He already knew that that would be created in us. And, in, and, and whether it was to 11 scared disciples on a mountainside in, in Galilee, first century, or to every scared, fearful disciple of his today, listening to this word from him right now, Jesus' reply to every fearful excuse remains the same. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm over every one of those things that's making you afraid right now. I'm sovereign, ruling power and control over every single one of those things that you're so worried about that you think gets in the way of you being able to do it. I'm in charge of all those things. Go, therefore. So go. I got you. Okay, hopefully that helps us. Hopefully that helps us all understand Jesus' authority as an authority to be feared. The last thing I want to look at together quickly with you is how Jesus' authority is also an authority to be followed. An authority to be followed, and maybe that seems like self-evident, to say that the authority of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is, is an authority that we need to, to follow. He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, and yet... <laughs> And yet when you look at the practical, like real-time outworking of that belief that we say is so self-evident in most people's lives, I think you find more often than not that, that for all of its self-evidence, actual submission to, actual following of Jesus' authority in our lives is far less self-evident and common than we're saying it is. And there's all kinds of places that we could look at to see evidence of this, but I mean, as long as we're here in Matthew 28, why not, why not just look here? Just, let's just stay right here because you'll notice. Look again at, at our passage here, verse 18. Immediately following Jesus' great claim, go into verse 19. Immediately following the great claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. That's like, again, that's just a staggering claim. We, we, we've only just begun to talk. We could talk about that for days and unpack it and still only just be scratching the surface of it. He's immediately following that. He goes on right away to, to base our obedience to his great commission immediately and directly upon his claim. Notice he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, therefore, go and do these things because all authority, meaning like quite plainly, what I'm calling you to do as my disciples is based on it, is grounded directly in the fact of my having all authority in heaven and on earth. See, there's the connection between the, the great claim and the great commission. I have all authority, so don't be afraid, but I have authority, so go. I'm, I'm commanding you to go as the one who has all authority. But then let's, let me ask you directly. Let, let, me, let, me, let me get into your business for a minute. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? How, how's that going? And we're going to look more deeply into Jesus' commission itself next week. Like really dig into all that means and what, what it is that Jesus is calling us to exactly. But, but just on the most basic level, go make disciples of all nations. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. To make and develop disciples of Jesus in whatever context and geographical areas that he's placed you in, a commission that he's given to every church and every follower of his to be obedient to him, given by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. 
are you doing that? And, and, and for the record, I'm not asking you that question hypothetically. Like, would you be open to making disciples if the opportunity happened to present itself? I'm asking you personally now, today, are you actively, intentionally following? Are you being obedient to what Jesus has commissioned you to do? What he's commissioned me, what he's commissioned our church to do. Are you being obedient? Are you following that authority? Because I know for some people, I mean, you say this and it's almost like they're surprised by the question even. They're like, what? What do you, what? Am I do? I mean, and then they'll like point at me as the pastor to be like, I thought that was your job. Um, no. No, sorry. Or, or at least it's not only my job. Because here's the thing. Jesus commission as the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth is a commission that he gives to every follower of his in every time in every point in history from the first time he gave it until he returns and which remember jesus only gave this commission after he'd already sacrificed everything including his life in pursuit of the exact same mission that he calls us to himself and if you look at your life right now and your honest assessment it is, no, no, I, I know I'm, I'm not following. I'm not submitting myself to, to Jesus' authority right now. I, I think, I think it's, it's important that we just stop, just quit moving ahead, stop, and, and take the time to really investigate why that is. Like, why not? Why? And, and, and listen, I'm, I'm not saying that this is going to be the reason for everyone. I know it's not. And yet, but as I talk to more and more people who would say, no, no, I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of his. I'm a Christian. The, the reason they're still not following, they're still not submitting themselves to his authority, either in this mission or in countless other places, is because while their, their theology, their theology sees Jesus as the risen, glorified God-man who has all authority in heaven and on earth and on whom we must to whom we must submit every part of our lives to, functionally, functionally, they still see Jesus as nothing more than, than a humble first century rabbi touring around in the Middle East who said a lot of like really nice, wise things that, that we should really consider thinking about following. You know, it'd be, be real good to, to do some of those things if, if we get around to it. And that's, and maybe you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Maybe that doesn't seem like that big a problem. And yet, to tell you what, seeing Jesus as that and not as this is, is devastating. Devastating when it comes to submitting yourself under or following Jesus' authority in our lives. Listen, particularly when whatever it is that Jesus is calling us to comes into direct conflict with whatever we want to do ourselves or whatever shiny, attractive thing in the world tells us that we should follow and give ourselves to instead. It's devastating to that. Like, so does, does Jesus really have functional authority in your life so that you follow whatever it is that he's calling you to, whether that's to this mission that he's given to all of us or, or to some individual calling that he has on your life right now? Or in the end, is Jesus' authority over your life really only something that exists in theory? Because if it only exists in theory, it's never going to equal actually following Jesus into the scary unknowns of tomorrow. 
There's always going to be an excuse of why that you can't really trust him to do that. It's only in seeing Jesus as he truly is, as he revealed himself, as the one with all authority in heaven and on earth, that we'll follow him into the scary unknowns of tomorrow, trusting that he's there and that he's over all things. So here, just moments before his departures, return to his Father in heaven, Jesus gathers his disciples around him and preempts his great commission with this great, incredible claim. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. His authority in heaven, notes Frederick Dale Bruner, means, quote, that the impossibility of salvation can be supplied from above by one who has authority there and who gives access there. And his authority on earth, he goes on, means the powers that seem to be the powers on earth are no longer so imposing, for we are in league with the king. That's what that means. That's what he's revealing to us. So so what about you? What about you today? How... How will you respond to Jesus' great claim today? Where do you know that you're still fearing? Where do you know that you're still making excuses? Where are you, where, where are you still acknowledging Jesus' authority in theory, but functionally following the authority of something or someone else, even if that someone else is just you? You, you know, actually, uh, you're, you're the authority in your life, actually. Pray that for every single one of us today, our response to Jesus' great claim will be to go to him right now, in this moment, today, before we just get up and go on to whatever we're doing with our lives, that we would come to him with ears to hear, with, with humility to, to listen and to receive and to ask him just to reveal every place where this exists, every place where we're still fearful, every place where we're still making excuses, everywhere where the authority that, that we say he has in our lives is only really in theory. It doesn't actually work out in real time. To reveal every place where that's happening, every place where you have still not submitted your heart fully to the authority of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And then by God's grace, Repent. Repent, which just means to turn 180 degrees, to turn from, from fearful excuses to confident trust, to, to turn from seeing ourselves as the true authority to return to submitting ourselves wholly to his authority over every aspect of our lives. Saying, I'll follow you, Jesus. I'll follow you. I'll trust you. Maybe you'd say, well, but, or what? Like, Maybe I don't feel like I can do that. I don't know if I can do that in every place. This feels too scary. This feels too big. I'll tell you what, the, apart from that, if, if, if we can't do that, the alternative is that we just continue to operate in prideful self-governance and self-reliance, which if you remember is the exact condition that we looked at last week in the church of Laodicea that led them to their, to their awful, uh, 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 lukewarm faith. 
Jesus said he was ready to spit them out of his mouth for their lukewarmness because they were so self-reliant they felt we don't need your help anymore. That's exactly what happens when, if, if we can't do this. If we can't see Jesus, acknowledge the authority he has, and, and submit ourselves to it. And on top of that, we also remain negligent of and ineffective in accomplishing the mission that Jesus has called every one of his followers, called every church of his through all of history to accomplish. We'll never be effective in doing that if we can't acknowledge his authority and follow it where he leads us. Jesus still comes to us today with his great claim. He's coming to you right now with that claim. He's saying to you, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. May we respond to him with faith today. True submission, casting out all fear in response to his great love, and following him faithfully and fearlessly into the unknowns of tomorrow in response to his great claim.